Mr. Gambini, your witness. <sighs> He's a tough one. Yes. <clears throat> Mr. Tipton, when you viewed the defendants walking from their car into the sack of suds, what angle was your point of view? They was kind of walking toward me when they entered the store. And when they left, what angle was your point of view? They was kind of walking away from me. So would you say you got a better shot at them going in and not so much coming out? You could say that. I did say that. Would you say that? Yeah. Is it possible to two youths... Uh, uh, to what? Uh -oh. What was that word? Uh, what word? To what? What? Did you say utes? Yeah, two utes. What is a ute? Oh, excuse me, Your Honor. Two youths. Hi, everybody. I'm Dan. And I'm Mike. So welcome to 15 Minute Film Fanatics. This is a show on which we usually talk about a film that we've watched off screen, so to speak, and then talk about it on the podcast for the first time. But tonight we're going to have an interview. We're very, very excited in studio to have Dale Lawner here. And we're going to talk about Dale and his career and, and fire a lot of questions at him about the industry, as they call it. So, And I will warm up in his intro to, to get to the films you certainly know because you definitely know them. So Dale Lawner was born in Cleveland, Ohio in 1952. A year later, he and his family moved to LA where his father had a role in the 1955 thriller, The Creature with the Atom Brain. Dale attended Cal State and he didn't graduate from there, but he did learn about film before he left and worked in sales and sold stereo equipment, just like Judge Reinhold's character in Ruthless People, which was his big break, capital B, capital B. That came out in 1985. I remember seeing it in high school and, and thinking I was getting away with something because it was so exciting to see that on a big screen, sneaking into a rated R movie. Um, after that, he wrote, or he had a hand in writing, um, Blind Date, released in 1987. More on that later. Um, he had a big hit with Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, which we've all seen, 1988, with Steve Martin and Michael Caine. He had Love Potion Number 9 in 1992. But his most renowned film is, as we all know, My Cousin Vinny, which he wrote and produced and was released in 1992. Um, we know that film has added at least one phrase to our, our lexicon, which is the two Utes. Everyone knows the two Utes. And he also produced, wrote, and directed Tom's New Heaven in 1992. We are thrilled to have him here with us. Welcome, Dale. Well, thanks for having me. A pleasure. So, okay, uh, I will say that My Cousin Vinny is my father's uh, absolute favorite movie. And it, se it seems to continue to work I guess we're like two and a half generations removed from from new people continuing to see it and and the movie just keeps working. So to what do you attribute the the longevity or why why do you think that this is uh, quickly becoming a timeless comedy? Um, I think when you uh, write a movie, you have to uh, keep that in mind. Um, uh, I'm not sure what dates certain movies. Uh, I do know, let's say Dirty Rotten Scoundrels which was written in the mid sixties by Stanley Shapiro and um, Paul Hanning. And um, although I, I love the original movie, there was a lot of it was kind of corny. And so when I got the rights and rewrote the script, I pretty much just took out the corny parts, uh, added a few jokes somewhere along the way, changed the ending dramatically, 
cut 30 minutes off the front. Uh, and, and that was the script. It was actually, was a, it was a pretty easy, it was pretty easy to do, but I guess, uh, what contributes to the longevity would be, uh, don't write corny parts. Uh, I mean, I like a lot of plot and I don't know if this movie is considered to be plot heavy, but there's a lot of stuff going on. And, uh, it's funny cause I had lunch today with, uh, Tony Bill. Tony Bill was the uh, producer of the sting. And we were talking about the sting and he was talking about uh, the script by David Ward and how um, there really is no pieces in that script that are superfluous. They're just there for the fun of it, just there for a joke. Um, that um, you really, if you cut one piece out, you hurt the whole story. So it's that, that kind of writing, I would have to say the writing is important. Comedy generally, uh, I mean, you can get away with a movie like Airplane, um, which actually had a plot. It even had a lot of plot um, because the paradigm was a zero hour. Right. You know, right. with a, a few jokes from airport or, or the many airports thrown in. I'm not sure how many airports were made at the time. Um, but the zero hour was something that they, if you watch the movie, it's unintentionally funny because you feel like you're watching airplane you know and it's funny because uh, i i don't remember i thought i saw zero hour i got it confused with crowded sky um so i started watching zero hour and there is uh, uh sterling hayden's in it you know and i'm a fan of sterling hayden we love him from Doctor of the show posthumously <laughs> yes so uh i'm watching it and then my dad who's an actor is in the movie so, uh, which was a surprise. So, uh, you know, and I think his character was even parodied in Airplane. So, uh, you know, I remember I, I emailed, uh, you know, Z Jerry Zucker and David Zucker and Jim Abrams. And he said, I'm watching, you know, this movie and here's my dad, you know, which they thought was hilarious after all this time, you know. And you mentioned Dr. Strangelove because, of course, you know, Terry Southern's Screenplay is based upon the you know that novel Red Alert, which is a very serious, you know, supposed to be this big message about the the and this the perils of nuclear war, and it got turned into Doctor Strangelove. You know what's fascinating is the guy who wrote that um, also wrote uh, 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 Failsafe, right? Uh, which is is almost the same movie, and uh, when Kubrick found out about that. Um, uh, United Artists sued. I'm not yeah. sure which the other studios and got them to delay failsafe for a year. Yeah, he wanted his out first, right? Yeah, yeah. So uh, that was so funny. That... But, so anyway, so uh, I like my I like my comedy to work like a drama, and uh, and and to basically work as a story, and um, as opposed to let's say something like Airplane, which which I don't write. So let, let's talk about, let's go behind the scenes a little more, you know, um, Mike, you know, one, certainly one of the things that, that people love about my cousin Vinny's everybody loves Joe Pesci. I mean, he's, he's imminently likable. Everybody loves Marissa Torme. Everybody, everybody of a certain generation loves the fact that it's Herman Munster as you know, he's not even Fred Gwynn. It's like, Oh, with Herman Munster appearing as the judge. Um, 
And we've all heard these stories about who was originally cast in certain films. Like, you know, there was talk that Sinatra was supposed to play Vito in The Godfather and you know, Richard Gere was going to be in Die Hard. There's a, there's a million stories like that. So yeah. did you write this with Joe Pesci in mind or or what what is your experience with this? What can you tell us about how films are cast and and how much you came into that or not at all? Or? Well, first of all, I mean, uh, occasionally I talk to writers groups and I say, uh, do not think about an actor in mind when you're writing because what you're going to do is think about movies that actor has been in. And then you may lift stuff uh, consciously or unconsciously. And that is to me, the definition of what a hack writer is, is a hack writer uses material from other movies rather than a make up something, uh, find something that exists in the real world and then change it to make it fit. So it has some authenticity to it um, or um, you know, and anyway, so so I try not to do that. That's um, the character was inspired, uh, although you can find other people in real life. Um, it's funny because I thought of Lou Reed. Uh, <laughs> really? Yeah. Uh, I just, <laughs> the way Lou Reed looked, uh, showing up like in a leather jacket, uh, right. I even right. described in My Cousin Vinny that he looks like he buys his clothes from the house of Lou Reed. Okay. <laughs> um, uh, he was supposed to be a big guy. Lou Reed is not apparently, but I, for some reason, imagine him to be a big guy. Vinny was supposed to be a bit of a, a look like a thug. And um, so part of the inspiration for that was uh, a friend of mine uh, who was a, a drummer in a band called uh, Black Pearl. And it was Oak O'Connor was six foot five. He's from Boston, uh, although he's an Irish descent, a blue eyed blonde. Uh, he was a big guy and he had kind of a, a pockmarked skin and, uh, you know, good looking, but in a very rugged way. OK. And if he's not smiling at you, um, he could look scary. And I wanted Vinny to come in as an imposing, scary guy as a lawyer. I just thought it would just be a, a fresh take on it and it would be different, you know, because usually when you see lawyers come in there, they look sophisticated and kind of dapper. And um, uh, I remember uh, there was the original Perry Mason was uh, almost a, a, a charming, uh, outgoing uh, dandy. Uh, who right. loved wine and good food. Uh, there was actually a series of Perry Mason movies made in the late 30s, which you can see that, and it's a lot different than the TV show. Um, but I wanted to sort of get away from that and try something new and a little different and fresher. And since he was supposed to be from sort of the wrong side of the tracks, uh, you know, a guy who talks like this, you know, he's a big guy and uh, <laughs> tough guy, you know, and... So I, I don't, to me, I, I mean, I still like that idea that he's an intimidating figure and that, you know, some scary guy comes up to you and starts cross-examining you very well, you know, is uh, a surprise. Right. Just like uh, having a girl like Lisa know about cars is a surprise. Um, but, you know, you kind of thread it into the movie anyways. So that was part of his character. Uh, another part of his character uh, came... Uh, a few years before I actually wrote the script, um, um, as uh, do you remember the comedian Sam Kinison? Sure. Okay. Now, Sam, I 
was a big fan. I saw him live a number of times. I thought he was just a riot. And he was also good at basically uh, with words, just beating the crap out of somebody, right? Yeah, he would do his uh, screaming routine. and Yeah, yeah well, well, there's the screaming routine, but also, I mean, he was, and I don't remember exactly what he did, but I remember with hecklers. Yeah, he was great. Wish there was a heckler. And so you can hear on some of his uh, recordings how he dealt with, with hecklers. And whoa, he was tough and vicious. And so I thought, wouldn't that be funny in a courtroom to take somebody apart, right? And so, you know, he tears that guy apart. It was really fun. Right. But uh, you know, later, you know, and as I'm writing, I can't, I can't do that with every, with, with, you know, with every uh, uh, witness. And when you're reading about cross-examination, um, you also understand that you have to, um, you know, you, you have to uh, adjust your tone to make it appropriate with the right person. The, the crux of the movie, I think, is that, um, as you just mentioned, he has to make himself likable to the jury, right? Uh, oh, in, yeah. in, in some sense. And, and, but he's certainly likable to us. He, to the you audience, know, however, yeah. gr- however gruff you wrote him, he comes off as a likable figure, of course, carried by Joe Pesci. I had not, I'm from New Jersey, actually, Dan and I are both New Jersey natives. Ah, and okay. so I, I had assumed that you would be also, but now I find out that the, that, that this movie is pastiche, uh, <laughs> uh of, of home, uh, in, uh, but uh, okay. But he, uh, becomes a very a very likable figure. So how did you also balance that by making him likable? I'm sorry, balance what by making him balance the the aggressive cross examination. How, how do you feel that you uh, you know uh, like you, you say, humanize it, him? It was there was only one scene where he was really aggressive, you know. Uh, and then there's the scene where uh, Mrs. I think Mrs. Riley, uh, the woman with the very thick glasses, mm-hmm. and he's very right. he's sweet to her. He's kind. He's to very her, nice to right? her. And. Um, you know, there is a judge in uh, North Carolina, um, Judge Joe Anderson's with the U.S. courts, and he wrote an article for Vaudire uh, or Vaudire, depending if you're in the South, he called Vaudire. Everybody else calls it Vaudire. Uh, for Vaudire magazine, um, and it was the cover story, and it says uh, 10 things any trial lawyer can learn from Vincent LaGuardia Gambini. And uh, it was fun reading that because uh, he understood every single thought that I had when I was writing it, you know, he interpreted it. And uh, so uh, to me, I think my, my favorite of those scenes is something that somebody told me that is now kind of commonly used in court now for eyewitnesses. Uh, and that was the character of, I think his name was Ernie Crane played by Rainer Shine, played mm-hmm. brilliantly uh, like, like a moron, you know? I mean, uh, uh, he was the guy, you know, who was in the trailer. Right. And, said, mm-hmm. and he says, so you were looking at your trailer, right? And, and over there, but there's uh, these other things here. Yeah, what do, you, what, what do you call these? He's pointing to the picture. And you get people to say them out loud, okay? And that's kind of like a salesman's trick where you ask people questions, but you phrase it in a way where they only say yes. Right? Yeah. And so that's, that, that's sort of part of the technique is, you know, what, what, what's this over here that's in, in the way what, what, you know, that's also in that, you know, in between you and the sack of suds. Uh, trees, 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 right. And what are these little things over <laughs> here on these things? Uh, Leaves, leaves. Yes, that's right. You know, 
And uh, I mean, that's my favorite scene. I guess. Yeah. It's like the way a magician forces a card. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. okay, that's true. Yeah, yeah, it's exactly like that. Yeah. Let's. I, I want to move ahead a little bit, and I want to ask about more about your screenwriting career. And one of the things I, I loved. So we read your IMDb profile, and this this made me laugh out loud. You have this quote, and I just want to read it back to you. You said it, so you'll obviously know it. You say, "Blind Date" was rewritten by so many people. If you hated it, it's not my fault, and if you liked it, I can't take credit for it. I'd love to ask you a little bit about that quotation and about, you know, the story of Blind Date and what made you say that if it's not too painful and, and what that reveals about the filmmaking process that 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 people who aren't in it wouldn't know. So, uh, uh, you know, Blind Date started with a pitch. Um, and it was interesting is I realized uh, and I've been told now, uh, certainly after the first pitch, that I'm gifted at pitching. And uh, I remember the very first pitch, I went with the producer, I was terrified. Um, and we were to pitch to David Kirkpatrick, who was the senior vice president of Paramount at the time. And I told David, why don't, why don't you, you start the pitch and, uh, you know, and I'll just jump in, right? When, uh, but I came in and David had read uh, Ruthless People. He was extremely warm and validating. He loved Ruthless People. Uh, and I just felt great, you know, so I felt very confident. And so David started the pitch. He got maybe seven or eight words. in when I shut him down, he said, OK, I'll take it. And uh, and I'm doing the pitch and I'm you know, my pitches are long and I will act out parts. And so I get through the first act and David is laughing. He's asking questions. He's writing down notes. It's going very well. I'm getting to the second act. Uh, again, David is laughing, asking questions, writing notes, smiling. Then I get to the third act, the one I really have worked out. And he's not smiling anymore. He's writing notes. He's not asking any questions. And now I feel like uh, a comedian when they're in front of an audience that is not laughing, you know, and you're bombing. And it's a horrible feeling that suddenly you are now you've got to pretend as though they're laughing, right? So now you're doing it by rote, but you have no energy, no feel for the room. Uh, and then Kirkpatrick stopped me and says, okay, okay, you don't have to go any further. I can see where it's going. We want to buy it. So he didn't even hear the whole pitch, right? So I said, wait, 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 no, there's more. They said, no, 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 I can see where it's going. It's okay, it's okay. And I know something as a sale, as a former salesman, is when you have the sale, shut the fuck up, right? You know, so... Uh, you know, yeah, you could spoil it from there. So I, you know, I went quiet. And then we got in the car, we went over, pitched it to Fox. It did not go well there. Uh, but we pitched it to five more studios and we had four studios bidding on it, um, which is exciting. Um, um, I, I ended up getting a precedent setting deal um, as a result of uh, the bidding work. And um, um, then when, um, uh, I wrote it, uh, I turned it in the studio, uh, thought it was too edgy because it was a black, a black comedy and they wanted to lighten it up. All right. Well, that's a big conceptual shift, but it wasn't that difficult. To do. Um, so I did lighten it up and it made it more of a conventional rom-com, but it still had a lot of edge to it. Um, 
They wanted a, a director I didn't want. Uh, I suggested um, uh, Joan Micklin Silver because I liked the way she handled uh, Chilly Scenes of Winter, also known as Head Over Heels. Uh, they weren't interested. I called her agent. The producer called her agent. We got her a meeting. Uh, after a one-hour meeting, they went, okay, they gave her the job. Then uh, we met with her and the producer at dinner and talked about cast. And I'm going to tell you who the cast was in, first in mind, that um, it was Sean Penn and Madonna, which really? we now know Madonna is not a great actress. But at right. the time, uh, they were the hottest couple in town. Yeah. Uh, that was the, by leaps and bounds the number one get. Um, she had only appeared in Desperately Seeking Susan. She was the biggest star in the world, and certainly a rock star uh, by far. He was a big star because he married her, um, and everybody wanted them in a movie, and we thought that would have been great. So uh, get the script to their managers. Both managers liked it. Then it moves up to the agents. Both agents like it. But then it gets to Sean and Madonna, and they both like it. And all these green lights is fantastic. Uh, what's also good about it, what's also good about it is Madonna was supposed to be in my other movie, which was over at Disney, which was Ruthless People. She was supposed to play the Bette Midler. Movie. Really? Mm. Yeah. But we were then thrown a curveball and said, well, we're not sure if she wants to play fat. Well, did you ask her? No. Well, what are we supposed to do? Well, just write out the fat part. Well, well, wait a second. She has to bond with her kidnappers. What, uh, what, what, what do we do? I don't know. You're the writer. You come up with something. So, you know, this is one of those things, you know, where all the parts fit. You know, you don't want any superfluous parts, but a lot of it is a, like a chess game, too. So you move one thing, you've got to move three mm -hmm. other players, and it's, it gets complicated. Um, you know, to rewrite something that's right in the middle of the script, you know, or in the end, not a problem, but, but this, this, this becomes a conceptual shift that makes it difficult. So the good news is I got her out of Ruth's people to do blind day. Then Sean and Madonna met with Joan Midland Silver and they decided they didn't want Joan. Joan got fired. Now what was all green lights, what was all exciting, what was mm -hmm. Leading a charmed life in Hollywood suddenly uh, crashes, like head-on collision, right? And part of the reason the head-on collision is that directors want to be the boss of the set. They don't want actors being their boss. So going into a project knowing that the actors fired the last director who didn't even get a chance to do one scene, it was hard to get a director. So uh, they went out to a few directors. Sean, I had recommended Bob Rafelson. Sean Penn wanted a well-known uh, comedy talent, Dennis Hopper, to direct it. Um, I'd say that ironically. Yeah, really? <laughs> I don't think Dennis Hopper has ever intentionally told a joke that anybody laughed at, so, uh, or even told a joke to my, to, to my knowledge. Um, so uh, they couldn't get a director for it. I was then at that point fired off my own project. Uh, I was told that they wanted to get a female writer 
to soften it up, which they did. And they hired Leslie Dixon, uh, Leslie Dixon, who is more than willing to rewrite other writers, which a lot of writers frown on. So that was 30 years ago. So we've come a long way. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, I still friend. But, uh, um, uh, and then the rewritten draft was given to Blake Edwards, and then he rewrote back. Uh, I called up Blake Edwards to ask him to please read my script before it was rewritten. Uh, I called him a number of times. Uh, he refused to return my call or talk to me or communicate with me in any way whatsoever. So uh, Sean met with... Sean had dropped out at that point. And when Blake Edwards was involved, Madonna met with Blake and then Madonna dropped. So uh, was your question about the casting? Well, the question was just, I mean, I think you've answered it, which is about the, about the domino effect. No, it's all good. The domino effect of like how many, you know, it's how Mm -hmm. many, how many, how many people's fingerprints are, yeah. are on this script and it's and it's you know the the illusion for people that aren't that aren't screenwriters you know people like mike and i are is that you know you know the idea of like somebody comes up with this great thing and they hear it is and and you know and I, the, the story yeah. i love the story gets modified changed, yeah tweaked, distorted right um, my cousin Vinny, the casting of that i mean i mean you know, actually i mean probably the most egregious casting uh, no offense to Danny DeVito, but in Ruthless People, that character is supposed to be more like a low-level gigolo. Hmm. And Danny DeVito... He's still he, low-level. <laughs> you know, he's low-level. Yeah, he's... Uh, good one. Uh, yeah, but he's, you know, I mean, that he's a, 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 a gigolo is, is a joke, you know? Yeah. And it's, and it's, that's kind of jokey, silly humor. Right. Is, you know, and it's not, not really my cup of tea. Right. So, you know. So that's, that's great. How like that, that whole, that's why I wanted to ask you about that, about that story, which is that it's just, it's fascinating to see how, how many quote unquote creative people I'm using my air quotes here, um, yeah. you know, end up, Oh, I'm going to make this better. Or we're going to do this. or we're going to just a couple things and how, uh, by the time it's over, it's not, the, it's not the same beast anymore. It's a, it's, it's a different thing. Yeah. You know, despite everything it's, you know, despite the story about blind date, it's great to hear a story about like a, a film, like my cousin Vinny, which, as Mike said, is going on like it's third generation of, 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 you know, Mike's dad loves it. Mike loves it. And now, you know, people are going to be people are going to be watching that one, you know, for, yeah. for a long time. Um, yeah, I think of um, David uh, Webb people's script um, that that eventually became Unforgiven, but how long that that bounced around and drifted in the wind. And it's it's kind of a, it. of course, it got made exactly when it was supposed to get made, you know, ultimately. But. I mean, yeah. it, it was floating around for 17 years or something like that. They said. There you go. There you go. I mean, that's an example of that. I mean, there, there is. A, I mean, I, as I'm going to give you a cliche of an Oscar acceptance speech for Best Picture. <laughs> Here's how it starts out, and this is the only thing. Nobody wanted to make this movie. That's it. You know, <laughs> how many times have you heard that? You know. And then I want to thank so and so because they made the movie, but after it got rejected by everybody. Um, you know, I mean, that sort of, you know, uh, uh, supports that, uh, that old saw that William Goldman said, which said, nobody knows anything. Well, let's, let's, let's move away from, from the, the studio execs. To, I want to ask you about who are some other screenwriters you admire or some specific screenplays that you look at and say like, that's really, really good stuff. I actually have a list here. Oh, great. So, uh, <laughs> 
So do you want me to read all the sure. lists or should we go one by one? We could do however um, you want. Not, we... in, in any necess- not in any particular order. Okay. Uh, the apartment. Oh, we love the apartment. That's, yeah, that's, we've done an episode on that. We Top love five that. all time. Yeah. Uh, North by Northwest. Yep. Another great one. Right. Rear Window. My favorite movie, uh, bar none. Rear my Window. favorite movie. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. It used to be my favorite movie. It's, it, it's still up there. It's, 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 it's amazing how well it holds up and how dark and funny it is and how wonderfully suspenseful it is. Uh, Dr. Strangelove. Sure. <laughs> We've done that. Yep. Broadcast news. Great movie. Great movie. We have not done that for the pod. Great movie. Uh, network. We love network. We, we, wait, wait, wait. yeah. Yeah. We don't get us started on network. We read the we'll, book on network. We had the guy on the show. Dave Itzkoff, who wrote the book about <laughs> network. We interviewed him. We, we went through this whole, you know, we walked around our houses like Howard Beale screaming out, you know, for, for weeks and weeks. No, know, on, talking about network. honestly, it was like a 90 yeah. day period from the first time we rewatched it. Just making our witness. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I was speaking of witness. I forgot to put that down, but witness. Sure. I, I like that movie a lot. And I, yeah. I don't run into a lot of people who've seen it. You, you, you're like, you know, when Han Solo becomes yeah. Amish and the people Amish still have no is. idea what you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, His Girl Friday. Love it. Great, great movie. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, Godfather. Sure. Uh, King Rat. I don't know if you're familiar with that movie. King based upon the James Clavell novel. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, I don't know the movie, but I know the novel. Ah, okay. That's interesting. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Sunset Boulevard. Sure. Get Shorty. Get Shorty is a great screenplay and a great, a great he novel, likes the novel and a, too. And I yeah. love Elmore Leonard. It's one of the yeah. few, it's funny how it's funny. You said that how, how many Elmore Leonard films, have been made from his stuff and how few of them are really, really good screenplays. Like get two, shorty's two one. Are. Get shorty and out of, out of sight. I think out of sight is good. I think Jackie Brown is good. That's based upon rum punch. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. But, 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 but so many of them it's cause, cause he makes it look very easy. We're going to put these three guys together. They're going to be in a car. They're going to start talking. And uh, you see some of these adaptations and, and, and it's funny what you just made me think about how all the fingerprints about blind date, where you want to say like, I think the reason the good ones work is because they let like, don't lose the Elmer Leonard part of it. Like don't lose what makes, Elmer Leonard, Elmer Leonard. And I think that get shorty and out of sight and Jackie Brown all are, they're made by true yeah. people who get it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. They're not trying to improve it's, the it's source really, material. It's actually a, a good example of how films go wrong. Because right. you see the other movies, other movies that he has written, uh, which don't really work. Right. You know, not as well. And a lot of it has to do with the, the writing and directing and casting. Right. Body Heat. Oh, we love, oh, we yeah. did Body oh, Heat yeah. on the show. We love Body Heat. Yeah. We did it. We, we did it. We did a whole episode. We forgot how funny, um, what's his face is in the movie? Ted Danson. Ted Danson. Yeah. yeah. He like yeah. takes over the movie. Yeah. 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 He's clever. I'll just breathe the air. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Start smoking, you know? Right. <laughs> and I remember seeing in a theater where there was this great tension in the scene with the lawyers and stuff, you know, yeah. about her changing the will. Right. And somebody just says, do you mind if I smoke? That was it audience cracked up we cracked up too yeah you know because there was so much tension there that you just assume yeah i'm nervous let me have a cigarette but nobody yeah. played nervous just everybody played it very straight but you could feel the tension it would be nevertheless you know i consider that sort of the best james kane movie uh that james kane never wrote yeah, absolutely that's a great way to describe it yeah 
because it's clearly got double right. identity written. All, all over it. Yeah. 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 Uh taking of Pelham one, two, three. Sure. That's a great one, Walter Matthau. You've never yes. seen the Take of no. Pelham one, two, three, Mike? Oh, it's a terrific Gesundheit. That's a great one. Oh, you movie. haven't seen it? Yeah. No. Gesundheit. Yeah. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Yeah. Right. I love the score. It's yeah, it's terrific. Fantastic. I think David Shire did it. Just yeah. great. Uh, it's got this great groove and then yeah. all this sort of avant-garde jazz uh, on top of it, you know? So uh, just great. Uh, cool Hand Luke. Sure. You know what movie Dan and I actually both like that I wanted to ask you about? Okay. Which is another courtroom procedural. Do you like Anatomy of a Murder with Jimmy Stewart? I just watched it the other day. For really? The first time. For the first time? I, you I have to listen to our I episode. started but never finished it. Well, you but have to check out our episode on it. We love it. Obsession with panties and panties. <laughs> panties. Wow! But you get to hear I'm Jimmy like, Stewart to it. I'm know. like, I can't believe this movie. You know, uh, <laughs> no, no, there's no panties. With this stuff, you know, <laughs> and she was such a flirt, right? Oh, she was great. And I'm thinking, like Ben Gazar got away with murder. I mean, I don't get it. You know. Yeah. yeah. Um, um, you know, I. But he did. He got away with it. You know, yeah. I, I didn't believe for a second that was an impulse you know i think he was angry you know yeah you can call that angry uh but that's a great example that's a great screenplay because when you talked about your the original like the idea of of vinnie being like lou reed right he's going to be kind of scary but he's also got to be likable like like there's i think there's a real art in 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 what you do there and also it's kind of like what happens with ben gazara like because when mike and i did our episode on that you know, our premise is that we never talk about the movies until the show. And the thing that came out in our conversation was what, how original it is to have very unlikable defendants and that yeah. you don't like, do I root for Ben Gazzara? Do, because mm-hmm. like, because of what's going on with Jimmy Stewart and George C. Scott, like you really, yeah. it kind of makes you uncomfortable. And that's like a great trick to pull off as a writer. Yeah. I, it was interesting. It was written by a judge. Yeah. Um, the novel. Yeah. Interestingly, and I don't know, I didn't read the book. Um, but I did some research on it after watching it um, because part of the movie is very uh, astute and authentic legally and yes. it's often uh, held up but Vinny is held up for that reason and Vinny is actually more authentic I think than Anatomy of, of a Murder because there's stuff in there where they are leading the witness um, they apparently nobody does depositions right you know um, you know, uh, and, and uh, at the end, of course, is there's this old rule that uh, all trial lawyers know, don't ask a question you don't know the answer to. Right. You know, and so George C. Scott, you know, is cornering her and, you know, you're having an affair with this kid. Isn't that the truth? <laughs> That's my father. Right. So, you know, I saw that one coming. <laughs> uh, but I just thought, you know, you know, the, the writer, right. uh, you know, he, he, my, my assumption is that that judge, uh, rather than make it authentic and find a creative way to make it authentic, um, just threw in a little movie convention at the end, yeah. you know, so he broke the rules because right. he didn't, know how, he didn't know how to get it. Yeah. He didn't know how to do it. So do you have any other movies on your list? Other screenplays on your list? Uh, I think that's it. That's a, that's a, that's pretty, a, that's that's a, a pretty good list. Good list. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think also a treasure of Sierra Madre. Oh, that's good. Throw that in there. Sure. Um, and there's, there's a bunch of others. Oh, sorry. You mentioned Sense of Boulevard, the apartment, and we just did some like it hot, and that's another you know unbelievably great screenplay. We yeah. Think. Yeah. 
So thanks for talking to us about about your experiences and and, and the 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 dark underbelly of Hollywood and and you know pull, <laughs> pull, pulling back the curtain for us and for our listeners. This is really really terrific. Okay. Well, you're welcome. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. You can you can follow us on Twitter at 15MANFILM. You can subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. Keep sending your requests in. Keep telling us what to watch, and we'll be sure to take up those episodes. So, again, I'm Dan. And I'm Mike. And thank you, Dale. You're welcome.